welcome to this edition 17 of the English Agenda podcast with me, Rob Lewis. So after a long break, we're back, and this month we're following the theme on the English Agenda website, and that is teaching pronunciation. On a personal level, I remember when I started teaching, pronunciation was the area that probably intimidated me the most, mainly because of the terminology I seemed to need to talk about it. Over time, of course, things got better. But being out of my comfort zone meant I tended to avoid talking to colleagues about pron or pronunciation and therefore ended up not really questioning what I was doing in the classroom. Questioning classroom practice, what you're doing and why you're doing it, is really at the heart of a blog that's been set up by Laura Patsko and Katie Simpson. Their focus is particularly on teaching in an ELF or English as a lingua franca context but I think it's a very accessible read for anyone with an interest in learning more about pronunciation and English language teaching. I spoke to Katie to get an overview, as difficult as that can be in 10 or 11 minutes, but started by asking what had inspired her and Laura to start writing the blog. So I think pronunciation is perhaps a topic that some teachers shy away from if they don't feel confident um, about what to focus on in the classroom. They perhaps don't have the knowledge or the tools to make informed decisions about what to focus on with their students. And this certainly struck a chord with me when I heard Robin Walker talking at Aya in 2013 about elf pronunciation, because my students at that time when I was living in Dubai really needed to use English as a lingua franca, and I didn't really know how to help them to develop their skills in this context. When we talk about English as a lingua franca, we mean when speakers use English as a contact language, when they don't share the same L1, for example, a native speaker of French using English to communicate with a native speaker of Japanese. Barbara Seidelhofer describes English as a lingua franca as any use of English among speakers of different first languages for whom English is the communicative medium of choice and often the only option. And that was the case for a lot of my students. And I met Laura Patsko at IATEFL at that talk. And we decided to set up a blog together to share the materials and the ideas that we had in our classroom with other teachers in case that they found that they were useful too for focusing on, on ELF in the context of pronunciation and listening especially. And so we've been making um, lesson plans and lesson materials and trying to make some of these ideas that might seem a bit more academic and theoretical a bit more accessible and practical, yeah. trying to bridge that gap between academia and the classroom. Well, you you certainly seem to do that. And I think you're right when you say that pronunciation is an area that for a lot of teachers is perhaps a bit of a mystery or something they don't want to delve too deeply into. But you managed to kind of reveal it bit by bit in your blog. Can you tell us a bit more about the kind of research that underpins that and what areas or what issues uh, do you really try to highlight on the blog? The main piece of research that we've drawn on on our blog is research from Jennifer Jenkins back from 2000. She collected data about the pronunciation features which caused the most communication breakdown in her multilingual classes. And she used this research to draw up a list of priorities for teaching pronunciation in an ELF context. And this list was called the Lingua Franca Core. I'd never heard of this list until I heard Robin Walker speaking at IATFL. This list of features focuses on four areas that are deemed to be important for students to pronounce accurately if they're going to be intelligible. Intelligibility is another area that's quite a tricky term, but 
the most important thing to remember is that in an elf interaction, it's the person who's um, listening who's going to decide whether something is intelligible or not. If they've understood what the person's trying to communicate, then they're communicating intelligibly. But how do you know which features are most likely to make somebody intelligible? According to this data that Jennifer Jenkins got from her classroom, the four main areas that were important were most consonant sounds, mm-hmm. appropriate consonant cluster simplification, vowel length distinctions, and nuclear stress. Obviously, I'm going to use quite a few terms here that you might want to brush up on, and we've written about these in much more detail on our blog. But just a, a few more details here. When we say most consonant sounds, there's, there were a few exceptions. For example, the and th sounds. These didn't seem to cause any communication breakdown, according to her data. When we talk about vowel length, we mean things like the difference between ship and sheep. But actually, vowel quality is not something that was deemed to be important for intelligibility. The other thing was nuclear stress. We mean things like when we when we say, I'm going to see my mother next Sunday, and we're putting the stress on Sunday, we're trying to communicate that message. That part is the most important part. That was deemed to be key. So she made this list of things that were really important, things that we often traditionally teach in a pronunciation syllabus, which were, which were not included in her list because according to her data, they had no impact on intelligibility. And there were also things that we often teach which actually have a negative impact on intelligibility. Things like vowel reduction, schwa and weak forms, and features of connected speech, things like linking. These things that we we often get students to produce in the class, actually in an ELF context, might make it harder for somebody to understand what they're trying to say. That's not to say that these features aren't useful to to work on receptively. So to develop a student's listening skills can be really useful to help them to decode those features of connected speech, for example. But in an ELF approach, learners wouldn't be expected to produce them because it actually might damage their intelligibility. Okay, well, that's one really good tip, I think, for any teacher listening who's working in a, in a similar kind of context. I guess it's very difficult to give general advice to teachers on how they can respond to this kind of research. But is there anything they can do? Are there any ways they can, they can modify what they do to, to respond to what you're saying? I think the most important thing to remember is ask students how they use English or how they plan to use English. Then if you've got a multilingual class, uh, you might want to do a needs analysis to see what areas of pronunciation will be most important to work on in the classroom based on the lingua franca core. If you want to see an example of this being done, there's a video actually on our blog. If you've got a monolingual class, then you can think about the features of the lingua franca core that students of a particular L1 might need to add to their repertoire. And this was actually what my co-author Laura Patsko researched for her master's, and there's um, that research is available also on our blog. The other issue with a monolingual class is that students perhaps need to be more aware that although there might not be communication breakdown in the classroom if they all share the same L1, when they go out of the classroom and they're speaking to people with different L1 backgrounds, there might be more communication breakdown because the things that they expect to hear from somebody in the classroom might be different outside. So that's that's something to raise students' awareness of. In a multilingual class, you've got a ready-made ELF environment, so the best thing is to exploit it with plenty of information gap activities, the usual kind of activities we do, you know, where one student, for example, has a map, one half of a map, and the other student has the other half, and they've got to work together. And then after you've done things like information gap activities, take the time to get students to reflect on any communication breakdown and why it broke down was it because the listener heard something that wasn't what the speaker meant or was it something to do with the speaker's pronunciation 
In a monolingual class, the most important thing is getting students to listen to a wider range of accents. So, for example, I teach in Thailand, and most of my students, um, they may be familiar with Chinese accent, for example, but maybe not like with somebody from Mexico. So actually bringing um, audio into the classroom using YouTube to find clips of people with a variety of accents. And in both contexts, monolingual and multilingual classrooms, make, make sure you do plenty of work on communication strategies to help students to be able to clarify what they didn't understand. So if they're speaking to somebody in ELF context and they're not familiar with that person's accent or that other person's not familiar with theirs, there's perhaps more likelihood of communication breaking down. So we can equip students um, to be able to specify exactly what they didn't understand or to ask somebody to repeat something and maybe to help them to reflect on their own pronunciation and what um, being careful about perhaps avoiding certain sounds, using another, explaining something in a different way, using a different word yeah. to explain something. I think the word is really kind of modifying your, te your, your teaching rather than anything major. Do you think all of this is relevant for teachers of younger learners as well, say primary age? You can make assumptions about their future needs, can't you? About uh, being unlikely to encounter native speakers, say, in their lives. So is it relevant for them too? Obviously, it's trickier with young learners because we don't know exactly how they're going to use English and they often don't have an immediate need for English full stop and they're learning it for some abstract future purpose. If current trends continue, then it suggests that they're most likely to use it with non-native speakers. Statistics show that 80% of interactions in English around the world take place with absolutely no native speaker present. So if that continues, then they, they are most likely to speak to other non-native speakers. I think there are some advantages to taking an ELF approach to pronunciation and listening in the classroom. For starters, then, if you look at the lingua franca core, it doesn't actually mean doing anything different. If you then wanted to later and have a native speaker goal then you can add features but it's not actually doing anything different perhaps it's also a more realistic goal more achievable one and more motivating with with kids sometimes i think perhaps they can't see the relevance of what we're doing in classroom because perhaps we're not explaining to them why they have to learn english especially my, my kids here in thailand a lot of them are never going to go and live in the uk or the usa they might not even visit but they do need to learn english because it is the world's lingua franca but if we're not explaining that to them then then how can they be motivated to learn it just all seems a bit irrelevant yeah. um i think also with kids it's good to develop their awareness of other cultures and so bringing in many different accents is a good opportunity to talk about that and at the end of the day most teachers have so little time with their classes and so if you've got a list of priorities then who isn't grateful for that you know I see my kids once a week for two hours so it's great for me to, to know that there are some things that are more important than others for them to be intelligible. Well, I think there's a lot of well, ideas, information for, for teachers to, to consider from what you've said. But is it fair to say that you're still fighting a bit of a battle, really, because the major publishers tend to focus on native speaker models? Is that something which is changing? Am I wrong to say that? The investment that goes into publishing a course book is huge and so naturally publishers are conservative and they tend to follow trends rather than set them and they also base their products on extensive market research and that means that if teachers and students aren't asking for a course book based on the needs of ELF users then the publishers simply aren't going to publish one. Uh, you know, change of any kind is always slow. The communicative approach is so standard in ELT nowadays but it wasn't always and that change didn't happen overnight. So I think if we can raise awareness of teachers and students that there is a choice. An English learner's goal doesn't 
have to be to sound like a native speaker. It may still be appropriate for some people, but I don't know that it's a battle in the sense that one goal is not inherently better or more appropriate than another. They're just different things, and it just depends on the context in which the learner needs or wants to use English. And that's not exactly a revolutionary concept. I think that just up to now, people don't seem to have taken that approach when it comes to pronunciation. When we teach other areas of language, we often start as a, use a starting point of uh, our students' needs. So when it comes to pronunciation, all you need to do is ask your students, who are you planning to use English with? And then, you know, hopefully that when more people become aware of, of those issues, then these slow little ripples that will come out, like somebody listening to this podcast now might be able to then go and feel they can do an inset in their own school, like I did after I heard Robin Walker talk, and these little ripples will eventually bring about change, um, slowly but surely. That was Katie Simpson. If you want to have a look at Katie and Laura's blog, you can do so by following the link on the English Agenda podcasts page, and it's well worth checking out. As I mentioned at the start, this podcast is just part of a pronunciation theme on the English Agenda website in February. Elsewhere on the site, you can watch a recording of Robin Walker's talk from the Creative ELT conference in Madrid last year, Rethinking Goals, Priorities and Models in Pronunciation. A joint IATEFL, PRONSIG and NATECLA event is being held in London on the 21st of February. Entitled Accentuate, Bringing Pronunciation to the Fore, it includes plenaries by Adrian Underhill and David Crystal. If you can't be there, you can watch live streaming on the English Agenda site. And if you're listening to this after the event, you can still watch a recording. And that is all for this edition. I hope you found the interview with Katie interesting and do take a look at the related links and recordings. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now.